for that beloved physician, all praise whose gospel shows, the healer of the nations, the one who shares our woes. Your wine and oil, O Savior, upon our spirits pour, and with true balm of Gilead, anoint us evermore. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Thomas Goodroad. We are majoring in the minors this year as we work our way through the minor festivals, feast days, occasions, and commemorations that are celebrated in the church. And today we are examining St. Luke Evangelist. The church has set aside October 18 for its commemoration and remembrance of St. Luke. Many people just assume that St. Luke is one of the 12, but he is not. He is not one of the 12 apostles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, he is known primarily for the third gospel which bears his name. And uh, before I ask Pastor Moline for a little historical background, I want to share with you a few words from the Manual on the Liturgy from Lutheran Book of Worship, page 36. Luke was a Gentile physician, a follower of Christ, and a companion of Paul. Little else is known of his life. The two-volume work, the third gospel, and Acts, is attributed to him. Tradition says that he was one of the 70 disciples commissioned by Jesus, that he was perhaps the other disciple with Cleopas on the road to Emmaus, that he was a painter, and that he preached in Bithynia, that he died at the age of 84 in Boetia. Not sure if I pronounced that right, Pastor. He is commemorated in both the East and the West on October 18. His symbol is a winged ox suggested by Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 10. That's from the Manual on the Liturgy for Lutheran Book of Worship. Pastor, what, uh, what other historical tidbits do you want to add with regard to St. Luke, who is oftentimes referred to not as the evangelist, but St. Luke the physician? Well, he is a physician. Uh, one of Paul's letters lets us know that. Um, I'm not sure that he was one of the 70. I suppose it's possible. Uh, it is unique. It did say tradition. Tradition, yeah. And the reason that uh, I'm a little nervous about that is because the name Luke means light, and it is a Latin name, which tells us that perhaps he's not uh, necessarily Jewish in his um, uh, his background, uh, even growing up. And he does spend a lot of time with Luke out uh, preaching and teaching, in fact, uh, on the missionary journey. We see in the book uh, of Acts. Paul. Yeah, what did I say? You said Luke with Luke. Oh, yeah, no, Luke was with Luke the whole time, but Luke was also with Paul okay. uh, out on the missionary journeys. And we see an interesting place in the book of Acts where it switches from Luke talking uh, about other people to Luke talking about us. And so we see even a place where perhaps Luke was converted and began to work with St. Paul uh, in the missionary journeys. Now, because Luke's a physician and well-educated, he also has some of the best Greek style, uh, and uh, that's really clear when you read the the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. Or when a lowly seminarian attempts to translate yes. the Greek of Luke, which is extremely difficult for the novice to translate. 
This is most certainly true, uh, and I think we, we need Vicar's brother Joe to help us with that because he's like the self-proclaimed Greek expert in the history of Lutheranism. Well, he's at least the best of the family, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a low blow for you, Vicar. Um, no, make sure uh, he tunes into this program. I <laughs> gave him a shout out. Um, yeah, I, I think this is really key with Luke is that um, because we see him actually meeting up with Paul and going on the missionary journeys, we see this really as uh, the gospel according to St. Paul, and uh, then also we have uh, a lot of liturgical teaching in both the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, which also teaches us what the very, very earliest church services looked like, and a lot of the uh, uh, liturgical songs and hymns that we still sing come from Luke, uh, reflecting that very, very early liturgical tradition. Excellent, excellent. Thank you. The uh, readings appointed for St. Luke Evangelist, October 18 on the church's calendar. The gospel reading, Luke 10, 1 to 9. The Old Testament reading, Isaiah 35, 5 to 8. The epistle, 2 Timothy 4, 5 to 18. The introit is Psalm 92, 1 to 5, with the antiphon of Luke 24, 46 to 47, amazing words from the Gospel of Luke, and the gradual selected verses from Psalm 119 and Psalm 45. We're going to begin our study today, Luke 10, 1 to 9. Vicar, take it away. Did you just want me to read the English, or did you want me to translate? The, oh, we, sorry. We don't want to be here all day. Yeah, we... Uh, uh, we'll, we'll wait until Joe gets his assignment here for that one. Oh, good point. Good point. <laughs> Luke 10, 1 to 9. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. That was Luke, 12, Luke 10, 1 to 9. Those words are oftentimes read or preached on at the installation or the ordination of a pastor. And while they talk about the office of the holy ministry in kind of a broader sense, with regard to the sending out of the 72, maybe this is where that tradition of Luke being one of the 72 that was sent out, that's why this is the gospel reading here for today. Maybe that's how that tradition got started or how that tradition is there. Whether that tradition is true or not, and I think uh, Pastor Moline made an excellent case earlier in this segment for the fact that Luke probably was not one of the 72 that was sent out. Um, we have here some uh, really, really great words with regard to mission, evangelism, the office of the holy ministry, words that are 
wonderful, but oftentimes, as is so much of Scripture, abused and misused. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Pastor, this sounds like a scouting mission. Uh, If you're from the uh, military, this uh, sounds like uh, you're doing a little reconnoitering or a reconnaissance kind of a mission. Uh, When uh, the president or some high-ranking government official is about to go and give a speech in a city, the Secret Service go ahead and uh, they check things out and come up with a plan. What is going on here with Jesus sending out these 72, two by two, into these various towns and regions before Jesus goes there? Well, um, I'd say it's not necessarily reconnoiting or uh, even recon or anything like that. I'd say this is uh, kind of setting the stage for what the church does um, going forward is that the word of Christ is preached and taught in every village and town possible. And I think that we're seeing that already. Christ is teaching his church. That's how it's going to live and move and have its being by the preaching of Jesus Christ crucified. And I even wonder here, you know, it talks about houses and things like that. We have to understand in the very early church that houses are where churches were. Uh, up for the first several hundred years of the church's existence, there was no such thing as a separate church building building where worship was that was always meeting in houses. And so you see here the 72 going out, preaching uh, in houses, uh, delivering the peace of Christ in houses. What we see is the really beginning of the church's existence at the preaching of these 72. So we we really do have some evangelism efforts going on by these two-by-two preachers that are going, and you're suggesting that when we see house here, we should be thinking congregation. We should be thinking church. Uh, These are home churches, and uh, so they're not, this is not door-to-door evangelism. Correct. This this is the house church where the people of God are gathering. Am I hearing you right? That's what I would uh, say looking at this, and and even if you go to Israel right now, You can go to places like Capernaum, where you see there was a house, and uh, that's where they began to worship, and eventually they built a church right over the house, which is in the same location. Um, And so you can see this progression throughout history, where house churches were the beginning of the Christian church. And I think that's really an important thing for us to consider in terms of how our uh, faith life ought to work even today. Really, it should begin in the home uh, before it begins in the church building today, I think that if we get that right, that will go a long ways in uh, in our faith life. Good, good. Thank you for that. Uh, then Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Uh, we hear these words oftentimes coming from our seminaries in recruitment efforts, recruitment brochures, congregational support, encouraging people to go to the seminary. Is that what Jesus is talking about here? Uh, Or are these words, uh, you know, like maybe in in a narrow sense and in a wider sense applying to all Christians? How how are we to hear and understand this uh, observation, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, and then this command to pray that the Lord send out workers? 
Well, I think if we see the 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 thing at the end of uh, houses being representative of the churches and congregations that are going to come and spring up, I think then we can understand it clearly. Uh, the Christians uh, in general are the harvest, and that's what Christ is going to take out of this world and into his store barns of eternal life. So it's life a harvest heaven. of souls. Harvest of souls. Uh, and then the workers, I think, then when we see it that way, are the office of the holy ministry, the people preaching and teaching, because that's the thing they're being sent out to do. And by the word, people are being converted to Christians and being brought uh, into God's eternal life. Now, that's what I think this is primarily saying. That doesn't mean that if you, as a Christian, uh, invite someone to church or talk about Jesus at work or something like that, that the Holy Spirit doesn't work in that. But primarily, I think this is pointing towards the office of the Holy Ministry. I was uh, I was reminded of that in preparation for this uh, particular program. We're looking at St. Luke the Evangelist, October 18 on the church's calendar, and examining the gospel reading, Luke 10, 1 to 9, when uh, Pastor Burnt was ordained into the office of the Holy Ministry here at Good Shepherd many, many years ago. Uh, Dr. Jeffrey Gibbs from the St. Louis Seminary preached, and you know he's a Matthew expert, and he preached on this text for Pastor Burnt's ordination sermon. And so I think that speaks well, uh, confirming everything that you've said with regard to these words. We've got a lot more to look at. This is Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors, St. Luke. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Today we're looking at St. Luke Evangelist, October 18 on the church's calendar. I'm Pastor Clint Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Adam Moline and vicar, seminarian, noted Greek scholar Thomas Goodroad. Uh, and not only is he a noted Greek scholar, but he comes from a family of noted Greek scholars. How, how's that, vicar? Does that... Uh, does that does that apply the uh, balm of Gilead where it needed to be applied? Um, <clears throat> one would say that you may be digging yourself deeper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, if you didn't, if you have no idea what we're talking about, it's probably because you didn't listen to our first segment. So uh, go back and listen to that, and we'll move on. Uh, from the English text, we're looking at Luke 10, 1 to 9. Uh, in the first part, we looked at the first two verses and some background on uh, Luke, the person, and the gospel of Luke. Verse 3, Jesus says to the 72, Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Pastor, that is, uh, that's kind of the overarching theme and now he's going to give some details after that to what precisely this will entail. What about that overarching theme, lambs in the midst of wolves? Is he talking about pastors proclaiming the word in the midst of a hostile world? Or is he talking about, in general, Christians 
who are like lambs being led to the slaughter in the midst of a hostile world. Well, I would say that uh, given the context, when we're talking about sending out these 72 to preach and to teach, and this taking place, um, you know, in this context of congregation, that it is primarily, again, speaking to uh, the office of the holy ministry, and that uh, preachers are given to preach God's word faithfully to a world that does not like the message and does not want that message to be taught. Uh, and so it is a hostile world against the Word of God and those who proclaim it. And, you know, we see this very clearly in the ancient church where, uh, for example, Stephen is uh, stoned for preaching the gospel. We see other uh, pastors who are arrested and beaten. Paul, for example, talks about all the things that happened to him. Um, and so we see it very clearly there. It still happens today, um, but it doesn't get as much news coverage or as much um, uh brought to our attention as it used to be, but it still is a hostile world to the Word of God. And we we have seen uh, recently, depending on when you're listening to this program, we've seen recently a rash of uh, churches that have been vandalized and burned in Canada. We have seen a rash of Roman Catholic churches that have been vandalized and uh, one burned in the state of Colorado. And so it it is becoming more and more socially acceptable, uh, so to speak, in the midst of this uh, social justice warrior atmosphere to pick on, attack, persecute Christians. Well, even that's a big thing. I think it happens uh, even much more commonly in very small ways, like um, a person who doesn't like the message that the pastor preached, uh, letting the pastor know about that directly, or who do you think you are not marrying my child who's uh, living in sin in X, Y, and Z, or telling me that my sin in X, Y, and Z is wrong, uh, not uh, appreciating my identity uh, that I have chosen to have it be. Uh, and so it happens in much more direct but yet not public ways, uh, and that's the way of the world. The details now, Jesus says, um, beginning in verse 4 of Luke chapter 10, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the way. Vicar, uh, that verse 4 sounds like really poor planning. Is that what's going on here, or is Jesus teaching the 72 something? I think that what he's talking about here is relying not on yourself, uh, but on the Lord. Um, the Lord will provide for these people because they are harvesting for the Lord. Uh, they are workers for the Lord. Back then, of course, the master um, of laborers, for example, would provide for the laborers, give them somewhere to stay, money to pay for somewhere to stay, food, etc., um, and in the same way, the Lord will provide for his workers going out to the harvest. So he's saying, trust in the Lord to provide everything that you need. Don't think that you need to rely on yourself to, uh, to plan well enough. God will provide. And I, th I think that's spot on. Later on, he says the laborer deserves his wages. Trust that uh, the Lord has all this worked out. The one that gets me there is the uh, greet no one on the road. He is not telling uh, pastors or, by extension, Christians to be unfriendly. Uh, this is an important task. you got a job to do. Go where you're sent to go. Go there. Don't dilly-dally along the way. Go there and get about 
preaching the word. And I think that's a good thing for us to remember as well, especially when we have so many minor things that seem to swallow up our time. And uh, whether that's uh, something like uh, Netflix or social media or whatever your favorite hobby or pastime is, there, there are a lot of ginormous time wasters in this world. And we can act busy. We can seem really busy, and yet we're not. Uh, Pastor, uh, he says here, uh, beginning in verse 5, Whatever house you enter, say first, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. This, uh, this house we've already talked about, we should think about church, uh, a house church. So you go to a church, peace be to this church. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. And if not, it will return to you. What, what is this all about? Well, you see this kind of thing take place in a way in our liturgical worship services. Um, you know, the Lord be with you and also with you, uh, things like that. Uh, but you also see this in the reality that the pastor is coming, first off, in the peace of knowing Jesus and hearing the word of Jesus and having faith in Jesus and the um, the life that that promises. And so they're bringing that and they're proclaiming and preaching it to the people there. If people hear that word and believe it, that same peace um, uh, will be there in that entire congregation. Um, and yet you see also conflicts that take place where the pastor still needs to have the peace. It returns to him. He's still in peace, even as perhaps there's not a son of peace in the congregation and there's violence and discord and strife and challenges. Uh, and so you see this idea uh, in this particular text. I've often said that when you see the word peace, you can substitute the words forgiveness of sins. Does that apply here? Well, that's the thing that gives us peace is the absolution. I'd say even beyond that, you know, the means of grace as well. And so there's a lot more than just that simple thing. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Now, verse 7 can be kind of a little sticky wicket. And remain in the same house eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Pastor, is this talking about a pastor who's in one of those difficult situations like you mentioned before, that he should be satisfied and content with where, where God put him, and that he should not be coveting or... Uh, manipulating for another call is is that a is is that a proper application of these words or are these words talking about something else that's a, a part of it I'd say uh, it's bigger than just that I mean uh, when a pastor has a call uh, he has gone there to serve the Lord and he does so faithfully um, as, as much as he can, because he's not working for earthly rewards. He's not working for prestige or wealth or things like that. Um, he's not trying to become a, a billionaire or anything like that. He's there to preach the word faithfully to that congregation. And, and there are those pastors who go from place to place to place to place to place to place. Um, and that doesn't really give you a chance to get involved in the lives of the congregation, to understand where they need the word and how they need the word. It's not saying that you can never move or that you can't go from one place to another. In fact, I'd say Luke did that, right, uh, with Paul. They went from one town to another, except... There was times where they stayed for a place uh, for a couple of years, and there's times where they're for a place just for a couple of hours, and that's um, 
more dictated then by the Lord rather than their own personal wants. And I think that's the key. Yeah, and I, I think we know that sometimes people look at the pastoral office as a kind of a hireling kind of a thing. Uh, pastor goes to a small church, and then he goes to a medium church, and then he goes to a large church, maybe an associate in a large church first. And then, you know, everything is kind of a stepping stone or climbing the ladder to success. We we transfer the business model into the church. I uh, remember when I first uh, had the call here at Good Shepherd uh, nearly 25 years ago, tiny, tiny little congregation. And one of the members said, well, you'll probably only be here for a short time and uh, then move on to a bigger and better church, a church that can pay you more money. I think this is kind of the mentality that uh, sadly we have catechized our people in because pastors sometimes do tend to jump and jump and jump around. Um, seemingly for a better paycheck or, you know, better parsonage or better climate, that kind of a thing. And uh, that's not what the Office of the Holy Ministry is about. God sends a pastor to a place. God gives the pastor a job to do, and that's uh, really where the rest of our text goes here. And we are to be content until the Lord decides to send you someplace else. And that someplace else he may send you is to heaven. Uh, so that's okay too, Vicar. At the seminary, they've been talking about this uh, a little bit more. I think they've realized the, that it's a real problem that some pastors, when they get sent out into the parish, really do think, ah, oh, yes, you know, they the, have the mindset of my first call. And I've had multiple professors tell me, don't ever think of the place where you get called directly out of seminary as your first call. It's just your call. Um, I was talking to a friend, and he said when he got called to a small parish, uh, they were pretty used to high turnover, and he wanted them to be completely confident that he would be there for as long as God told him to be. So he said, the very first thing I did, I got there, and uh, I got a goat, and then after that, I planted an orchard. Because when you plant an orchard, you don't get fruits right away. It's not a tomato plant where you get to harvest it in a couple months. It takes years and years, and that was an attempt to show the congregation, I'm going to be here for as long as the Lord provides. That's, uh, that's really good. And places that have high turnover, like uh, the district that Pastor Moline used to be in, uh, North Dakota, was for years known for having a high turnover of pastors. And so what the district did was they got together and said, you know, maybe we should pay our pastors a little bit more money. Then maybe pastors will stay a little bit longer. And that's exactly what has happened. The, the laborer is worthy of his wages. And that's a great example of the church corporate, the North Dakota district, putting that into practice. The last thing in our text, we're just about out of time. The primary thing, the 72 to is to do is to preach say to them the kingdom of god has come near to you to preach jesus in the flesh the kingdom of god has come near to you he is here to save you that's the message of the church then that's the message of the church now we need to take a break proclaiming the one majoring in the minors, saint luke don't change that dial 
You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Today we're looking at St. Luke Evangelist. The church has set aside October 18 for its celebration of St. Luke Day. In our first two segments, we looked at the Holy Gospel, Luke 10, 1 to 9. In our third segment, we want to look at the Old Testament reading from one of my favorite chapters in all of Isaiah, Isaiah 35. Vicar... Isaiah 35, 5-8, take it away. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. All right, we've got a, a, a wild and crazy variety of images and word pictures that are going on. Um, we first talk, start out in verse 5 with some uh, physical maladies and pictures of healing, miraculous healing, divine healing. And then the imagery shifts to the wilderness, to the desert. And then all of a sudden we've got a highway and uh, this highway has a special name, the Way of Holiness. And now we're not talking about jackals and desert animals. We're talking about people, uh, unclean people. And uh, even if they are fools, they will not go astray. So it seems like foolish people are going to be converted to wisdom. Uh, we got a lot of stuff going on here. First of all, Pastor, um, this chapter, Isaiah 35, are we talking about things that are going to happen on the last day? Are we talking about things that happen when the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world comes? Are we talking about things that will happen in between the ascension of Jesus into heaven and his second return that will give us an idea of his second coming? What, what kind of time frame are we looking at here with these words from the Holy Spirit through the prophet Isaiah? Well, I think in a broad sense, it is talking about all the history of humanity in terms of God's Word actually working. I think in a narrow sense, it is more specifically speaking of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, I think, too, then this is a kind of a 
Uh, it goes along in parallel with Psalm 115, uh, which talks about idols uh, and how idols have mouths but do not seek, eyes that uh, they have eyes but they do not see, ears but they do not hear, which matches up with other places in Isaiah as well, uh, which is fulfilled in the person of Jesus who opens the eyes and the ears of our biggest idol, which actually is ourselves. Um, that's the very definition of sin is being turned word, inward on oneself. And so um, I'd say it, it broadly, all history, narrowly, specifically looking at the life and ministry of Jesus. Okay. And we certainly have some of that prophetic perspective happening here where these things are out in the future and we don't know exactly when. I think I think what you said is well said, and uh, seeing these words uh, in Isaiah as kind of an uh, expose or a commentary on Psalm 115, I hadn't thought of that before. I think that's, I think that's really a good observation. Well, I wonder, so in Psalm 115 talks about those idols. Uh, we have a couple places in Isaiah where it talks about the eyes uh, that are blind and the ears that are deaf, and I really think that that's the biggest thing. What's our biggest idol? What's Clint Poppy's biggest idol? It's Clint Poppy. Uh, what's Adam Moline's? Me, me, myself, and I, right. the Holy Trinity. Uh, and because of that, our eyes are closed and our ears are deft uh, to the Word of God. And yet the Word of Jesus, in fact, opens them so that we might have faith through the work of the Holy Spirit and be saved. You know, I, I, I love it and I hate it all at the same time. When you, when you say something so profound that has just been right in front of me my whole life and I didn't see it. When I think of eyes that don't see, ears that don't see, mouth that don't talk, I'm thinking physically. I'm thinking physically of the, the human maladies that we have, and this text is picked because Luke's a physician, and he dealt with this stuff his whole life. I'm thinking only on that level. But what is it that truly has eyes that don't see and a mouth that doesn't talk and ears that don't hear, but the idols that we create. And uh, that, that is, that's awesome. That is awesome. Vicar, I want to take a look at verse 6 here with regard to the things that we were just talking about. The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, and then keep going in verse 6. The, the lame shall leap like a deer. The tongue of the mute sing for joy. This, these physical pictures of healing. You've been doing some study on this particular text. What do you have for us on verses 5 and 6? Well, like you said, it's a little bit unclear exactly what point in time that this is uh, referring to. But I think that we can say one thing for sure. Uh, this is in reference to the saving work of Jesus. So take, for example, the eyes of the blind shall be opened. Uh, we can look at John 9, where Jesus heals the blind man. We're talking literally, this is literally looking forward to when Jesus will do this. But we can also talk about this spiritually, because Jesus, with his word, opens our eyes to the scripture. Uh, the Holy Spirit gives us understanding of the scripture opens our eyes so we can see exactly what God is intending for us with the scripture uh, in order to look at his son and see our salvation. Again, the ears of the deaf, we could look at, for example, Mark 7, where Jesus heals the deaf and the mute man. Um, 
it's it's pointing forward to Jesus. I mean, these there's so many connections that we could make. There's certainly Jesus opening our ears so that we can hear the gospel. Exactly. And then later on where it says in verse six, the mute shall sing for joy. Again, we could look at Mark seven for the, the deaf and the mute man. Um, then uh, looking at the other one, the, the lame man leaping like a deer. Matthew 9, we just uh, heard about this on Sunday, about the lame man who Jesus said, so you can see that I have the authority to forgive sins. And he turned to the lame man, get up and walk. And that's exactly what the lame man did. He not only walked, he picked up his bed and he went home, showing that it wasn't just a, uh, a very eventual healing that Jesus gives. It is immediate. Jesus has the authority to do all of this. In Acts 3, the same thing with the lame man. He gets up and jumps there, which then points it not just to the words of Jesus spoken from the mouth of Jesus, but also the words of Jesus spoken by any mouth. And with these new eyes that can now see, with these new ears that can now uh, hear, with the new mouth that can now talk, and with the new legs that can now walk, what are you going to do with them? What are you going to do with them? That's really the question. You know, the, uh, the, the paralyzed man that now has all of a sudden the gift of walking, do you think he, he ran to the house of ill repute? Do you think he ran to the gambling parlor? Do you think he ran to uh, have an affair with uh, his neighbor's wife? Or do you think he ran to church so that he could give praises to God? I think this is a picture, you know, we've been given these new eyes, new ears, new lips, new legs, uh, all of this by the power of the gospel, and how do we use them in service for the Lord? Not that we have to use them to earn the forgiveness of sins or earn a place in the family. We want to. We get to. Um uh, th this discussion of this text went in a completely different direction than I thought it was going to go. Uh, thank you, and I really appreciate that. Let's, uh, let's keep going here. In the middle of verse 6, Pastor, we have a shift. We're, we move away from the physical things, and we start talking about the things of nature. Waters break forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground springs of water um, in the haunts of jackals where they lie down. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. We, we have a picture of a desert, a wilderness, all of a sudden blossoming and growing. What's happening? Well, I think, you know, for us as Christians, we read this, we think about the water uh, that flows from Christ, the waters of baptism. We think about the woman at the well who is promised, uh, uh, you know, if you drink from these waters, you'll never be thirsty again. Uh, is that John chapter 3? Is that John, John chapter 2? I don't remember, somewhere in there. Um, these are the ideas that we're talking about. And this is such a huge and important picture for the people who are first reading this book of Isaiah in the the land of Israel, because the land of Israel is primarily dry. There's not a lot of water. There's and, not. And a what happens when it rains? Right. Yeah. When uh, and that rare time when it does rain, all of a sudden uh, there's pools of water where it was only desert. That things are sprouting and growing. And we can't help but think of the same thing taking place in the Exodus, where the rock. 
pours out the water. And we know as well from the, the epistle writings, I think is it the book of Hebrews, I'm going to get it wrong here, um, that the rock uh, that followed them and that the rock was Christ. And I think there's the key thing. I think that's Galatians, but Galatians, uh, yeah. Okay. Vicar, one th- I know you're jumping out of your skin here. Oh, yeah. I've got so many thoughts. I, we could go on forever with this. But one other thing that I thought was really important to point out um, here in, in verse 7, where it says the haunt of jackals, the King James Version and, and various other versions will also translate this as serpents. And I actually like that translation a little bit better, and here's why. Matthew 23, uh, Jesus calls all the, the Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees, you brood of vipers. So I think that really brings forward this imagery of you know the haunt of jackals or a haunt of serpents or dragons, is another way to put it, is where people who speak uh, heresy or false prophets, people who are trying to lead you away from the way, that's where they are. And they're not going to be there anymore when the truth comes and shines its light. You get this word picture, whether it's a jackal or a dragon or a serpent, uh, you get this of something that wants to hurt, harm, and destroy, hiding, just waiting for the opportunity to strike out at the unsuspecting person who's walking by. And that is what false teachers and false doctrine does. It hides, it waits, and it bites. And it bites hard. But there will come a time when these places will be no more. And that's the promise that the Holy Spirit is giving to us. The, uh, the foolish ones who have walked in a foolish way. The foolish ones who have gotten themselves bitten by the jackal or by the serpent. Uh, fools will now be on God's highway. The road of salvation, that path that's talked about in Psalm 1, and they shall not go astray. What a great promise. And uh, we know that that road, that way, is Jesus Christ. We need to take a break. Proclaiming the one, St. Luke Evangelist, October 18. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline, Vicar Thomas Goodroad. Today we in our program we're looking at the readings for St. Luke Evangelist, October 18 on the church's calendar. In our first two segments we looked at the gospel reading, Luke 10, 1-9. In our third segment we looked at the rich, rich Old Testament reading, Isaiah 35, 5-8. And now in our final segment, we're going to take a look at our epistle reading. It's a long reading, very long for an epistle. 2 Timothy 4, 5 to 18. Vicar? As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Henceforth, forth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, 
the righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. For, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. To Caicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We could uh, easily spend a whole program on this particular text. We're going to have to. We're going to have to do a little bit of a flyby. When I uh, when I saw this text, Pastor, I immediately thought of your um, your study in the book of Acts. Your uh, um, no tongue in cheek here. Your expertise in the book of Acts, especially with regard to the geography of the. Uh, travels the names the dates the places uh this is this is right up your wheelhouse here let's uh let's take a look at this in chunks if we can to uh to make some um, to make some sense we we know why this is chosen for saint luke the evangelist day we have luke alone is with me uh right smack dab in the middle of our text verse 11 luke alone is with me um Way before we get to that, beginning in verse 5, uh, the Apostle Paul is the author of Second Timothy, and here in chapter 4, he is uh, writing, and in, verses, or in verse 5, he says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Who is the you that the Apostle Paul is talking about here. Well, he's talking about Timothy, uh, the one that this letter is written to, and I think worth considering since we're talking about St. Luke the Evangelist here also, uh, when he says that Luke is here with him. Um, Paul, we know from other epistles, doesn't have the best handwriting at the least and uh, the writing ability at the uh, the most. Uh, and so he would use a uh, amanuensis to help write these articles and these letters and things like that. And you can imagine then that Luke is the one writing this down uh, and Paul is speaking it or helping him compose it, but Luke's actually doing the writing. I think it's worth pointing out here since that's the day we're celebrating in the church year. But and, he's writing to Timothy. And there's a fairly recent uh, movie on the Apostle Paul uh, that uh, does a really good job of pointing out 
this uh, this fact. Well, I think it's important too, and this is uh, very very tangential. Is that uh, we have all these people that read these letters and they say, well, this is Paul and this is not Paul, and they do it based upon the vocabulary and the usage of things like that, which completely negates the idea that an amanuensis is doing the writing and that uh, you you might have different vocabulary used based upon who are you composing the letter with and who's writing down what you're saying because not even there, there was no uniformity in spelling even this is an important thing to remember so use a different word talk to me like i'm a kindergartner instead of amanuensis yes um so the average person living in the ancient world did not know how to write uh and so if you wanted something written you would go to an amanuensis which you'd go to a person and you'd say i want to write a letter to my uncle bill scribe, and this is what i want to say a scribe secretary. would work um you know secretary you'd say this is what i want to say they would write it down they would charge you for every word that they wrote and the amount of paper and that's how the letter was put together and we know that luke is educated and able to do that from the book of luke and the book of acts and we know that he's with Paul and that he's probably doing this because Paul is not the best writer. We have uh, we have these words from Paul to Timothy, young pastor Timothy, maybe not so young at this point in time, but um, and by application we apply this to the office of the holy ministry, and by application the next step we would apply this to uh, we could apply this to every Christian. Verses 6 through 8 of our text are often read at a funeral, especially the funeral for an older person uh, who has lived a rich and full life. Uh, so I want to I skip over those verses. Let's go to verse 9. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens or Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Bring him with you. He is very useful for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Uh, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Okay, let's take a look at that section. Pastor, you know these names, you know these places. Uh, I'm assuming that the parchments that we are talking about is what we know as the bulk of the New Testament, the letters that he has written to these different churches, these parchments. Uh, I'm making that assumption here. Of these, you know we're limited on time. Of these, what names, what places, what events are uh, significant that you want to highlight? Yeah, I'd, I'd start by saying the, the word parchments here is an interesting use here because the primary use for your everyday writings are the things that are written actually on papyrus, which is different than parchment. Uh, parchment comes into use in the Christian church a little bit later, and it is animal skins that have primarily lamb uh, that have been stretched and scraped and are used, and they are longer lasting than papyrus, which is why we have much more uh, uh, parchments than we do papyrus in historical things. So these are perhaps the letters, but they're also then perhaps even um, the the other writings, the the Goss or the Old Testament things like that. And it's not cheap to have parchments, and so this is a valuable, important thing. We see here then Paul dealing with the mundane, everyday um, work of the church. So and so's gone here, so and so's gone there. This is the stuff that's going on that happens at our voters' meetings, and he's talking about this is what's going on. 
and here's what I need you to do to keep the church going. Uh, these people are important. They are early pastors, all of them. Um, they've gone to places like Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey, which it was Christian until the uh, uh, Turks drove out all the Christians and killed them and crucified them, uh, and it should be Christian still, but that's a whole other story. Um, we have um, Dalmatia, the Dalmatian coast, even today is a vacation spot. Uh, you have Luke, like I said before, who's with him. Ephesus would be a um, big, major, important city that would be on the um, western coast of Turkey. Um, uh, is it called Izmir today? Is that the name of the town off the top of my head? I think it's Izmir uh, is nearby. Uh, Ephesus had a very, very important library, the facade of which has been rebuilt in the ruins of Ephesus, uh, but it is a really important city. We have the book to Ephesians as well. Um, and we have um, Troas, another important town. Um, these are real places with real pastors preaching at real congregations to continue the preaching and uh, baptizing ministry that Paul had done at the places that he has gone before to preach and teach. And so we see here that that's the way the church is operating just as it is today. And we see opposition to the church beginning in verse 14 with Alexander the coppersmith, um, did him great harm. He warns Timothy to stay away from him, beware of him. And then he gives a, a type of Christ type comment at the end of verse 16, may it not be charged against them. I'm reminded of Jesus speaking from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Verse 17. And, and two, then, when Paul uh, goes to Jerusalem and is arrested, he is, in a sense, by himself, so much so that in Acts 23, uh, 11, Jesus comes and talks to him and says, Take courage, for as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify me uh, about me in Rome, uh, kind of telling him what's going to happen. And so, again, Paul is letting Christ himself rule and uh, uh, control his life in that way. And, and that is highlighted, uh, I think verse 17 is the uh, pinnacle of the text. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. He's not afraid. The Lord's going to take care of him. The Lord's going to protect him. This is so important because God is speaking his message through Paul and the Gentiles need to hear it. Pastor... You see the time. What's the message that Paul was concerned of preaching? Uh, Christ crucified and risen to take away the sins of the world. And just to kind of give a quick summary here, he sees himself as a Daniel figure. Uh, Daniel was in uh, not Rome, but instead um, in uh, Babylon, uh, preaching the gospel to the rulers of that empire. And now Paul is going to preach to, um, we, we think, uh, Nero, because he appeals to Caesar, which was his right by being a Roman citizen. Uh, the emperor was required to at least appoint someone to listen to every case that was appealed to uh, to him before a decision was made. He waits for a long time in Rome. Uh, it's likely then that perhaps Nero Caesar got to hear Paul preaching just as uh, all the, uh, the, the Jews and uh, uh, the governors in Jerusalem had, um, and uh, that's then how Paul eventually meets his death. Making that connection between how God kept the lion's mouth closed in Daniel and how Paul was fearless with the thought of being fed to the lions uh, by the Romans, uh, all of this connects us well. It is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is prominent 
in all of these readings throughout all of Scripture. That's why the church and the office of the holy ministry exists. Vicar, would you bring things to a close by praying the collect of the day? We pray. Almighty God, our Father, your blessed Son called Luke the physician to be an evangelist and physician of the soul. Grant that the healing medicine of the gospel and the sacraments may put to flight the diseases of our souls, that with willing hearts we may ever love and serve you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 For Pastor Moline, uh, Vicar Goodroad, and I'm Pastor Poppy. Thanks for tuning in today. We'll be back again soon. God's richest blessings in Christ. to K-N-N-A-L-P 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska.